Christmas is a, it's a season of hope. Matter of fact, if you could somehow uh, measure hope with some kind of satellite listening device at this time of year, I think you'd find the atmosphere kind of crackling with hope. You'd hear stuff like, oh, I hope, I hope I get an iPhone for Christmas. I hope I get a Nintendo Switch. I hope I get a puppy, mommy, I'll take care of it. Really, I'll take care of it. Or the ever popular request, I hope I get a Callaway Rogue Sub-Zero driver with Tour AD X flex shaft and multi-compound plus four grip. That's so cliche, I know. But, it, but well, that kind of hope like that is sort of a wish out there. And it's sometimes fulfilled, sometimes it's not. And although we might be a little bit disappointed if we don't get exactly what we want, the consequences usually are not devastating. Hope. Just think about hope for a second. Say that word with me. Hope. Just that very word. It can bring you some, a little bit of up when you're down. Hope keeps you going when life seems to be going south on you. Hope gives you something to cling to when you've lost your job or you've lost something significant, maybe someone significant. Hope is a spark inside your soul that says tomorrow things will be better. Hope's like having an anchor in the future. I want to just draw a little line of distinction here today for us. So that our hope is not, so our hope is tethered to the power, the actual power of God, rather than just in wishful thinking. Because we use that word hope in all kinds of different ways, as we've seen already. In the Bible, in the Bible, there's a unique kind of hope that's never just a wish. It's always based on an absolute certainty. Because there are things that you can hope for with utter confidence. It's the kind of hope that the wise men from the Christmas story demonstrated. The hope of these wise men, also known as the Magi, the Magi, their hope was based on what God had promised. And since God always fulfills his promises, we can actually hope with reckless abandon. And that's good news. So some questions we'll address today. What were the wise men hoping to find? What were the Magi hoping to find when they traveled all the way to Bethlehem? How did they know that the Messiah was coming? What did a star have to do with their search? And what does any of this have to do with me? These are some of the questions that we're going to answer today. You know, the Bible talks a lot about hope to encourage us when life starts going south. And this kind of hope is inextricably tied to Jesus. Because if we follow him, then we have this certainty of his guidance and his provision and his kind of, his breath being breathed into us, his provision, his care, his protection, all the time. Jesus is the anchor that links us to the promises of God. Now, the Magi that we're talking about here today, the Magi arrived in Jerusalem after a long, very expensive and very, very difficult journey. And what brought them to Jerusalem was not a wish, but it was a certainty. They were certain that the king of the Jews had been born, and they came to worship him. The the wise men teach us a couple of things that I want us to take away with us today, real certain things. The first thing is this. God is the source of hope. Say that with me. God is the source of hope. In other words, really, any hope that exists really finds its origin in God. And the second thing that we'll take away is that Jesus is the fulfillment of hope. 
Say that with me. Jesus is the fulfillment of hope. And we're going to see that clearly today. Um, the, the Christmas story that we read some from Luke last week, we're going to look at it in Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 starts like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The Magi were... God-fearing Gentiles who were looking forward to the coming of the Jewish Messiah. And much of what has been written about the Magi is really based in tradition, and not a lot of it is really um, anchored in fact. Lots of people call them kings. They weren't kings at all. Rather, they were advisors to kings. We're going to find out five kind of big things about the Magi today that we can take with us. Here's the very first thing. First thing is the Magi were from Persia or from Babylon, not from Israel, from Persia or Babylon. That word Magi actually means select set of priests, select set of priests. These priests functioned as religious and civil and political counsel to the kings of Persia. In time, their influence grew to the point where they became king makers and they were involved in the election of kings. And their education included... uh, Lots of training in the areas of astronomy, astrology, science, and religion. So the first thing, they're from Persia or Babylon. Beyond that, the second thing is, the Magi were seekers. I mean, purely, they were seekers. The Magi spent their whole lives scouring the heavens and history, science, nature, literature, in order to find life's answers. We don't know how they knew that this star was the star, but we can can suppose that it was out of the ordinary because they were seekers. They wanted to find out what this was all about. The Magi were seekers because they were looking for God. It's very, the scripture is very clear to say they weren't looking for who would be king, but who was king. The king, and we would come to worship him. They were seekers because they thought nothing of traveling several hundreds of miles and crossing a desert in order to seek God. Most of us whine about having to cross the street. <laughs> That's the second thing. The third thing is this group of magi who searched for the newborn king were men who had been influenced by the Jews over the course of time. And they were looking forward to the coming of the Jewish Messiah. The fact that they undertook such a difficult and costly journey in order to worship him strongly suggests that they actually believed in the God of Israel, even though they were from Persia or Babylon. Here's a little Old Testament, New Testament connection. I love when this happens. The Magi learned about God primarily from the prophet Daniel. Like 500 years earlier, young Daniel Daniel had been taken to Babylon as a prisoner of war. Uh, But because of his extraordinary faith in God, that got noticed. His, His character and his faith was noticed. In time, he elevated to this position of being advisor to the king of Persia. Think about this. Starts as a prisoner of war, ends up being advisor to the king. And he continues in this role as um, an advisor to the king of Babylon after they were conquered by Babylon. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the Old Testament and the fiery furnace? Those guys were Daniel's friends, and all of them were considered magi in 500 B.C. Matter of fact, Daniel had a name, a title given to him called Rad Maj which means chief of the Magi. I, I just love when Old Testament and New Testament connect like that. All right, here's the fourth thing. 
these wise men, uh, Daniel and the others, these wise men, these magi, had such a powerful influence on Persian culture that centuries later now, at the time of the birth of Christ, centuries later, the magi that were in place at that time believed in the God of Israel. As a result, they're waiting for the coming of the Jewish Messiah and their king. So how did these guys know that the king of the Jews was coming? Daniel told them. Daniel told them. Actually, God told them through Daniel by means of an angel. Gabriel, the very same angel who comes and visits Mary and gives Mary the news, speaks to Daniel and tells Daniel that the king would be coming, and he told him when, when it would take place. He said it would be 483 years after a decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem. Sure enough, the Persian king, Artaxerxes Longamanus, there's a name for you, (laughs) Artaxerxes Longamanus issues this decree to rebuild Jerusalem on the date that we now know as March 5th, 444 BC. And by calculating the amount of years that had passed since the issuing of that decree, the Magi were able to figure that the coming of the Anointed One was drawing very, very close. I find this really interesting. The Magi had done the work, done the math, and were looking for the coming of the king, but the Jewish religious leaders had not done so. Matter of fact, they were oblivious, completely oblivious to the fact that the king of the Jews had been born in obscurity just a few miles away. And just as Gabriel prophesied so many years ago, the Messiah, the Anointed One, is born at the appointed time. And since these magi were looking forward to the coming of the king, God sends them a supernatural sign to signal the arrival of Jesus. A star. A star. Unique star. We're not absolutely sure how they put this star together with the birth of Jesus. Perhaps, just by chance, perhaps in reading the Greek Old Testament, they might have come across a prophecy coming at the time of Balaam and the cryptic reference that comes in Numbers chapter 24 which says this, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, meaning the people of Israel. A star will rise from the people of Israel, and a scepter will emerge from Israel. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Hugh Ross, who's an astronomer, and he suggested that this star might have been what's, what's called a recurring nova. It's a star that undergoes several explosions emitting bursts of brightness multiple times over the course of months, sometimes even years. However he did it. However he did it, God used a star to signal the Magi that the king had been born. And the hope of the Magi was compelling enough to undertake this costly and difficult journey to find him. I mean, it's almost a thousand miles. No flights available. It's the, you know, the holidays. It's so difficult. <laughs> you know, it wasn't necessary really, for the star to lead the Magi to Jerusalem. Remember, they're looking for the Jewish Messiah, the one who is being born king of the Jews. And so they naturally would come to the capital city of the Jewish people, which was Jerusalem. But in order to emphasize that Jesus was being born of the royal line of David, we're told by Matthew here that he points it out that he's being born in the city of Bethlehem, David's hometown of Bethlehem in Judea which is really just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Here's the fifth thing to look at about the Magi. When they arrived, the the Magi would have caused really quite a stir. 
Given their status, they probably traveled with a very, very large entourage, like big parade. And while they might have used camels to carry their luggage, the Magi might have ridden horses. We, we don't know. We just simply don't know. And there's no biblical evidence that there were three Magi. There might have been 20 of them. What we know is that they brought three gifts, the three gifts that were brought. So that's where that imagery comes from. Um, Christian history has been largely influenced by the theology of Chinese auctions, which means one person, one gift. That's probably you know, not so much back then. Okay? One thing is certain. One thing is certain. The arrival of the Magi would have created a significant stir. More than anything else, more than anything else, it was their questions that alarmed everyone. In uh, Matthew 2, verse 6, they ask, they say, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Now, Herod the Great had not been born king of the Jews. He was not even a Jew. He'd been appointed by the Roman Senate in 40 AD. He didn't want the Jews. He had no desire for the Jews to rally around some new kind of religious leader. Herod had done some nice things for the Jewish people in order to try to win them over. But as he got older and older, he got more and more difficult. He became a a ruthless, self-seeking man. If anyone, anyone, anywhere was infringing on his turf, he simply had them killed. Amongst the people that he had killed were three of his own sons, his favorite wife, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, and 300 officers that protected him and his family. There was a saying back then in that day, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. (laughs) He was a brutal, ruthless man. Now, Herod was disturbed at the questions that came from the Magi because he didn't want any rival for the throne. All of Israel, and so Herod's disturbed, all of Israel is disturbed because when Herod is disturbed, everybody gets disturbed. It's like when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. They just knew there was going to be trouble. Now, the religious scholars knew the prophecy that that told where the king would be born. So it is amazing to me, amazing, even after the religious leaders told Herod about this prophecy, that none of these religious leaders even bothered to accompany the Magi four or five miles to try to find this child. It kind of shows a contrast. It shows the, the deadness, the spiritual deadness of the religious leaders at the time in contrast to the Magi, who were rabid seekers. All right, verse 7 of Matthew 2. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do. That's the ticket. I'll worship him. That's what I'll do. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He had no intent. Herod had no intent of going to worship Jesus at all. He was looking to deal with a threat. He was looking to deal with a problem. We'll see that really clearly in just a moment. God was the source of the Magi's hope. He guided them by his word, guided them by his star. It was an undertaking. It was costly. It was inconvenient, but they saw it. Now, while that star was unique to the Magi, 
God provides his word. It's available to us to guide us all the time. God wants us to use his word to know him better, to allow him to guide our lives. As we seek him, we we gain incredible benefit by seeking the guidance of God and the voice of God in his word. It's available to all of us. One thing the Bible clearly declares is that Jesus is the fulfillment of hope for all people at all time, from the Magi all the way to us. Because when, they found, when the Magi found Jesus, they found the fulfillment of hope. Look what it says in verse 9. <clears throat> After hearing the king, they went their way, meaning the Magi. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. See, the Magi worshipped Jesus with gifts. They hadn't come just to satisfy their curiosity. No, they came with gifts to worship him as they would worship God. And then they presented their gifts as an offering of worship to Jesus. The Greek word that's used there for the word presented indicates an offering made to God. They gave of themselves as an offering to the Lord. We know about this, the the three gifts that the Magi brought. First, uh, gold. Actually, these, all these gifts, they foreshadowed the person and the ministry of Jesus, who he would be and what he would do. Gold was for his royalty. In Scripture, gold is a symbol for royalty. It's also having to do with the glory of God. So it's an appropriate gift to give to God the Son. Then there was frankincense for his deity. This is a sweet incense that was used in all kinds of different temple offerings meaning they would burn it and the smoke would go up as if it was a prayer from earth to heaven. And then myrrh for his humanity, for his humanity. uh, Myrrh was an embalming ointment that was rolled into the garments of the deceased at burial time. It was uh, signifying the fact that ultimately Jesus was born to die for the sins of humanity. Now the nativity depictions don't show it, but the Magi actually don't find Jesus until several months after he's born and found him in the house, not in the stable where he was born. An interesting development happens there because the Magi are very, very directly led by God again. In Matthew 2.12, it says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they're supposed to go back to Herod, now they're warned in a dream not to go back. They return to their country by another route. Remember, Herod had asked the Magi when they first saw the star so he could gauge kind of the exact date and the the age of the baby king. When Herod realizes that the Magi outsmarted him and they were not coming back, the Bible says he was furious, furious. And listen to what he did. He sent soldiers to go and kill every Jewish boy that was two years old and younger. And Jewish history refers to this as the slaughter of the innocents. It was a horrific act by a deranged, paranoid tyrant. And by declaring it be all boys to and under, he was making completely sure that this threat, this rival to his throne, would be removed. The darkness of that kind of evil is astounding to me. And it's at this time that God tells Mary and Joseph not to go back to their hometown, but to leave Judea. Matthew 2.13, it says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. 
Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they fled to Egypt for a short time. And the Magi, who had also been warned by God, after witnessing the Jewish Messiah born with their own eyes, headed safely home as well. They found what they were looking for that first Christmas. Let me just wrap this up with this. What, what do we learn from the Magi? We see the Magi in their example. What do we learn from them? How can we make some kind of application to our own lives during this Christmas season? A couple of real big things that we learn. First, in, in the Magi, we see a willingness to go to extreme measures to follow God. Go to extreme measures. This challenges me, friends. I mean, they disrupted their schedules, their finances, their preferences in order to pursue God's best. That's, that's a bell ringer. How many of us really have, demonstrate, have demonstrated with our lives that sort of a willingness to follow God? We have a tendency to whine about being inconvenienced at all. Church service is an hour every week. Oof, that's a lot, man. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Imagine we're willing to go to extreme measures to follow God. And with his help, with his help, we all can. So why not ask God to do this work inside of us to bring about that kind of commitment? God can do it in us. Here's the second thing. In the Magi, we also see that they acted on what they knew. They acted on what they knew. They studied the prophecies that they heard from Daniel 500 years earlier. They paid attention to the things that they'd been taught. Many of us have been doing the church thing for years, decades maybe. We've got so much head knowledge, we think we've heard it all and we know it all. But how much, really? How much do we really act on and live out? We know about love. Do we actually love our neighbor? We know about serving. Do we actually serve somewhere? We know about tithing. Do we actually tithe? We know about prayer. Do we actually pray? I could keep going, but you get the drift. Do we live out what we know? We may not, but with God's help, we can. We can. In our weakness, Paul says, he is made strong. So you might think, I, I've blown it so bad. I've never really gotten engaged, never gotten in gear with God. Paul says, in our weakness, he is made strong. He can do that in you. So why don't we ask God to help us live what we believe? We all need help with that. Why not just ask? God, help me. I struggle with this. Help me. Help my life be a kind of offering to you. So you can make something meaningful, special, significant out of my life. Only you can do that, Lord. But I believe that you can. And I believe that you will. Why don't you bow your heads and we'll pray. We're grateful, Lord. But just as you led the Magi, you lead our lives. Lord, sometimes we don't look. We don't look up. We don't listen. But Lord, we know that you are always leading. 
and we can trust in you. Lord, I just pray that in this season, we would learn to look up. We would, look, we would learn to call out. And we'd be quick about it, Lord. That we wouldn't hide from our own failings, our own shortcomings. But we would speak them out and say, Lord, I, I blew this one. Lord, I, I, I can't seem to get this going. Lord, would you do these things in me that I desire, and I know you desire for me. Lord, I pray that you would take this life, Lord, and make it an offering to you. We want to do that, Lord. As we see the, the Magi bowing before the child came, Lord, we want to bow before you and make our lives yours. Say, Lord, do something inside of me so that I might do something with my life for you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you stand? We're going to close with a song.
We'll have a few of our friends in the back corner of the room over here. They'll be available to you to talk or pray as you need. Uh, for the rest, we'll leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Savior, born in Bethlehem. And remember, the God who came still comes. The God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.